At Rebel News, we're not afraid to have dangerous discussions, and we want to have them with you at our upcoming Rebel Live events, first in Toronto, November 19th, and again in Calgary, Saturday, November 26th. Just go to rebelnewslive.com to get your tickets today. Well, good evening, everyone. Good evening, everyone at home watching us. Uh, this is William here. I am with my colleague, Celine, my colleague, Celine Gallus. Celine, how are you doing? I forgot my name. <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you doing tonight, William? Uh, I'm great. A little bit tired, but I'm, I'm, I'm amazing. And I'm also here with uh, King's Counsel, Keith Wilson, <laughs> lawyer for Freedom Convoy Organizers. Keith, how are you doing? Uh, good uh, fatigue's uh, I think catching up to all of us, but we're going to keep pushing through till we get this. Yeah, you know, I think after four weeks of being here in Ottawa, in the great corrupt city of Ottawa, it's a beautiful <laughs> looking city. It's a gorgeous city, but I think we are we're all getting a little bit tired um, in terms of the fatigue that's settling in. Um, yeah, so just before we get started, everyone needs to remind you once again that we have a Rebel News live event coming up in Toronto on November 19th and in Calgary on November 25th. 25th. I yeah. think, Celine, you memorized all the names by heart last <clears throat> time that we were here. So can you tell us a little bit more about who is going to be there at those events? Yeah, absolutely. So from Rebel News, we have faces like Ezra Levant, Sheila Gunn-Reed. I know that William and myself will also be attending to mingle with the guests, but we also have people like Derek Fildebrandt from The Western Standard and some other really amazing speakers. We have Tamara Leach coming as well. So go get yourself a ticket. You can still attend and yeah. Yeah, I was wondering if you're going to forget Tamara Leach herself, the main speaker <laughs> for everything. If you want to get your Could tickets, never. go to rebelnewslive.com. Mm -hmm. Where do we have to go to get our tickets, Keith? Uh, rebelnewslive.com. <laughs> you <Yeah>. see, even <laughs> Keith, even a lawyer can remember. All right, so let's get to it. So today at the Trucker Commission, the Emergencies Act Inquiry, we had three witnesses uh, today. It's been a while since we got to three witnesses. Well, if we take apart last week's testimonies. Uh, today we had the OPP, I believe OPP, right? OPP's, OPP, yeah, yeah Deputy Dana, Chief. Exactly, OPP Deputy Chief Dana Early. We also had protester who was at the Windsor protest. Uh, I'm never able to to pronounce his name properly. Paul, let's call him Protester Paul. Uh, Do you uh, want to Paul give it a try? Lashid, I believe it was. Yeah, right, yeah, so, protester at the Windsor blockade that was at the Ambassador Bridge. Exactly, Paul. And we also had Marco from the Coots. The Coots protest, a spokesperson uh, for the Coots protest that took place in Alberta. Mm -hmm. So definitely some interesting testimonies that we heard today. We heard a lot of a lot of great things. Celine, what are your main takeaways from today's testimonies? Well, that's that's a lot to break down because we did have three witnesses today. So for Dana, the deputy chief police from the OPP, uh, that was really interesting because we got to see how her testimony directly correlated with uh, Jason Crowley, the uh, Windsor uh, deputy chief. Uh, police chief um, and his testimony. Yeah. So in regards to that, the biggest takeaways I would say were definitely primarily the fact that there was a lot of reporting that um, Dana reported on uh, a supposed alleged bomb threats, multiple in fact that it, to my knowledge, this was the first time that I heard of three to four separate bombing threats allegedly from within the convoy none of those transpired or took place if you weren't watching the, the Truckers Commission or the inquiry live today. And then we have Paul. Paul. We've Paul, got Paul. Protester Paul. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So kind of there to to counter the narrative from the deputy police chief, um, Dana from the OPP in regards to the Windsor blockade, um, along ambassador bridge. So, uh, what we saw there was that, uh, there weren't 
again, a large stretch from the mainstream media in regards to the amount of truckers that were there and protesters, as well as some of the police tactics that were or weren't used. Uh, a big thing that we saw yesterday was testimonies from um, Chief Deputy Police uh, Jason Crowley in regards to children being used as human shields. That's right. Um, that was brought up today twice uh, through uh, Dana's testimony, as well as Paul's testimony. And um, Paul said that there were almost no children during the night, none at all. In fact, it was teenagers and majority of the day they would be there was just a small amount of time. That was his reportings as a protester there on the ground. And then we have Marco Van Hugenbos. So he was a spokesperson for the Coots blockade and he had a lot of interactions. And in fact, he does speak about his interactions with the RCMP as being very friendly and, and having a very good relationship with them. So there's lots to go over today. Oh, lots, definitely. lots yeah. to go over. Yeah. So we have, we have a lawyer here. Uh, Keith, how much of these testimonies that you, that you take a look at? I tried to get in as much as I could, but uh, as is typical, I was in and out of meetings and yeah. dealing with urgent phone calls. As, as I've explained before, the, the, the hearing for us secures in overlapping phases because we're now preparing to cross-examine some of the federal government witnesses and we have to file our document list three days ahead of time. And the document disclosure process is ongoing. And today we received a new document dump from the federal government comprising over a thousand records, uh, in addition to the many, many several thousand we've already received. So we're, we're aggressively going through those documents. The practice of governments, myself having sued them many times, is that they bombard you with documents and they try and hide the good stuff within fluff. So yeah, you really sure. have to cut through it all to uh, find the good stuff. And I can assure you, we will find it. Yeah, well, thank you for always going on the show. And we ask you, even though you're super busy, I hope you're not going to start charging us. What? I'm not getting paid? Okay. Yeah, exactly. I hope that you don't start charging us your retainer fee that, that we learned a little bit a little bit earlier. All right. Well, to start to start the, the whole evening, let's take a look at clip number one from OPP uh, Deputy Chief um, Dana Early. Let's take a look at what she had to say. I want to ask you specifically um, to, to, to explain uh, about this concept of addressing events at the lowest competent level. Uh, in the context of a kind of ladder or escalation. What does that mean, the lowest competent level? The less um, invasive, the less... Um, uh, so lowest competent level would be, the prime example would be our provincial liaison team. Um, you know, being able to discuss the removal or, uh, of protesters, for them to leave on their own would be um, ideal. So that's what you would try first? Absolutely. And then if that, that did not meet with success, then you escalate. Yes. What would be the next ladder or the next step up the ladder? I think uh, jointly with, along with PLT, we are also using a media strategy to make sure that we were educating everybody in regards to that it was unlawful to be there, um, that there was other options that they could express their freedom of speech. So there was the media attached at the same time as provincial liaison teams were trying to develop rapport with the protesters. And it's very interesting to listen to all of these stages uh, of de-escalation instead of having to go straight ahead to the nuclear option, which is the Emergencies Act. Um, <laughs> what, what do you make of her uh, of her comments? Um, these strategies. Yeah, no, it's exactly what you said. I think that there is a lot of different levels that this could have been approached at, and it didn't immediately have to go to like they. 
it's explained almost as if they took all of these steps from A to Z. And, and, you know, it was just such a last resort to invoke the Emergencies Act, and it was totally necessary. It's actually wasn't. And actually, multiple people have testified, multiple city officials have testified that it was not indeed necessary, regardless of what they were seeing from the protesters and the convoy from within the convoy. So, yeah, something I was a little bit curious to hear about was her social media strategy. So I don't know if you know a little bit what, what that is. I'm not too familiar with what she meant by that. So can you explain to us? Well, I, I didn't really follow the whole social media strategy aspect that they were focused on. I mean, I it's important that they were using all different strategies. The, the piece of testimony that really struck me was the OPP explaining that there was a letter coming from the government mm -hmm. at a high level extending an offer to open up direct negotiations with the protesters at Windsor. That's right. But the OPP was concerned about the absence of a similar letter going to the Ottawa protesters and what implications that might have had. And I think that shines a light on a broader theme and problem here, which is we it's become so clear from the evidence that the prime minister in the prime minister's office was, you know, furious about the protests of average Canadians of all ethnic backgrounds coming together in Ottawa, that, that there was no circumstance under which you could see that the prime minister was prepared to engage in a dialogue with the Canadians yeah. he purports to be the leader of, mm -hmm. uh, the leader of our country. So, and the fact that, that was so glaringly obvious to the OPP that it actually put them into an operational pause that they were, they had a sequence planned uh, to carry out and they actually put it on hold because they're like, wait a minute, if word gets out in Windsor that we're proposing to have direct, the, the government's proposing to have direct dialogue and there's no similar gesture to Ottawa, what's the ramifications from that? So yeah. I, I was, that was very revealing to me. And I, th I think where we saw the comments that you're just talking about, it was in the transcript of the phone call between Doug Ford and Justin Trudeau. Yes. Um, where I believe Doug Ford, it, it might have been Doug Ford or Justin Trudeau, but I think it was Justin Trudeau who said, and I quote, I always wonder if they are not very smart people trying to think about shaming Canada in all sorts of ways and hurting the economy and getting jobs back to the U.S. We've got to respond quickly. So I don't think that this is the vocabulary used by someone who's willing to engage in a, a, a in a discussion, in dialogue, to in negotiations, basically. Absolutely, it just really again shows the prime minister's pettiness, his vindictiveness, and this is not new. We've heard that from uh, you know former cabinet ministers that have fallen out of grace, and how he is so petty in his interpersonal dealings with people that challenge him and here Canadians, hardworking blue collar Canadians challenged yeah. him on a grand scale and he was going to have no part of it. And, and everybody's been reacting to that reality that the, we see it translate right down to the police pausing some of their, their uh, implemented steps because of what they could see the prime minister was doing, which was refusing to have any dialogue with the mm -hmm. protesters here in Ottawa. Yeah. Do you have anything to add to that? No, you I've guys pretty much questions. summed it up. Yeah, definitely. We yeah. Move on. So, well, we, we see right here, if we can zoom in on the uh, on the picture, that's part 
of the transcript of the phone call between Justin Trudeau and uh, Ontario Premier Doug for both liberals, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> so it starts well, but then if you actually take the time to read everything under, you see some derogatory comments by Justin Trudeau and by um, Premier Doug Ford in regards to the protester, where Justin Trudeau basically implies that they are less than stupid, <laughs> not very smart people and talks about how they can deal with uh, those individuals so definitely a very odd um a very odd phone call between between those two that seem to be campaigning together all the time <laughs> they seem to have the same views on on, on speech and everything yeah. and that brings me on to my next point freedom of speech we heard uh dana early speak about freedom of speech and this might take a little while to explain but what are the acceptable restrictions on freedom of speech when it comes to protests? Well, we have a very fundamental right of free, free speech in Canada, and that's been recognized by our Supreme Court of Canada in many cases. And it includes making speech that other people don't like. Um, that's, that's how we live in a free society. That's how we test ideas. That's how we improve ideas. That's how we figure out which ideas are bad is by being able to talk freely about them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's that goes with something that Jordan Peterson is famous for saying, you know, when he talks about freedom of speech, he says that free speech is the foundation of Western society. That's how you you make your opinion. That's how you settle your opinion in a civil society. I remember him saying the exact line at his free speech rally in Toronto. And I think without, without freedom of speech, we can't flourish in an actual society. Absolutely agreed. That's very true. And those are all points that this revolves around. And if we don't have free speech, then what do we really have at the end of the day? 100%. All right, let's move on to second clip from, once again, uh, Deputy Chief of the OPP, Dana Early. Let's take a look at that. We've also heard yesterday uh, about the presence of children yes. um, during uh, the blockade. Uh, and how did intelligence inform your planning uh, about this aspect. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that was a concern of mine that um, if we had to use the plan of action that I wanted the, the lowest amount of children to be there, intelligence was able to provide me with uh, areas that they had detected where the children were uh, were hanging out uh, or were present in the protest. They were also able to tell me that um, because of their intelligence, because of their overwatch, that the majority of the children went home at night and um, very little of them stayed overnight. And so that led me to um, obviously looking at the option of going first thing in the morning with any plan of operation if needed. Was that the plan to, to have the action begin early in the morning? Yes. And what considerations led you to that decision? Uh, knowing from Intel that um, they had not uh, observed any children overnight and that when children were present, it was usually not till later in the day. Is that what you were talking about earlier? Yeah. So this is when I would have liked to like be a lawyer and then jump on the stand and be like, so then why does your testimony directly or not correlate in contrast so much with Jason Crowley's testimony from yesterday, where he said the total opposite. And in fact, just seeing a picture of like children holding hands was enough evidence for him to suggest that they were then being used as human shields. Yeah. I'm, I'm just not sure how much clearer it can be. And she says intelligence. And, you know, also Jason Crowley mentioned that a lot of the intelligence that he gathered was from mainstream media. 
it sounds think, like her intelligence sources were actually of real intelligence, if you know what I mean. So, you know, just go, just go back on your comments from last live stream. You know, you said we always repeat ourselves because this, this is yeah, repeating. Yeah. Like, it is true. <laughs> the evidence of one person does not corroborate the evidence of another person. The, the, the evidence show and the testimony given by one individual yeah. does not corroborate the testimony given yeah. by a person prior to that same person who testified. It's a huge pattern and it's very strange to me. I mean, I mean, is it really that strange? Like, I'm not sure what I was expecting from any of this, but to have two people who were in charge of dealing and creating a solution with the blockade at Ambassador, Br Ambassador Bridge, pardon me, at the uh, Windsor, in Windsor, and to have them not be able to agree on simple things like that. Their intelligence should have been close to the same thing because they shared resources, because they were in so-called constant, um, they were always working with each other. So I'm not sure how that's possible at all. Yeah, that's what, that, that's how it should have been if you had a functioning police service, <laughs> a functioning yeah, OPP and everything. I think so. Yeah, from your lawyer with high retainer fee eyes, what did you make of this? What did you make of this clip? Well, what I make of it is the theme from this evidence today and yesterday about children and the evidence that we had in the previous weeks from the Ottawa Police Service uh, when we discovered that they had spent uh, over $200,000 hiring the public relations firm Navigator. And one of the strategies that Navigator recommended the police use was to focus on the children and, and create this false narrative that children would be taken away from their, their families. Mm -hmm. um, what's clear when you look at the testimony today and yesterday from Windsor and put that up against the testimony from what happened in Ottawa, that the government and the police forces in their desperate attempt to vilify lawful Canadians exercising protest rights are trying to use children as a pawn. And that's not a good thing. That's a pretty low way to go. Yeah. And you mentioned Navigator in your in what you just said. For those viewers that only tuned in last last week or, or today, can you walk us through what was the whole issue? What was the whole situation with the police using Navigator? And what is Navigator for those who don't know? Well, Navigator is a public relations, government relations firm, uh, an issues management firm, a lobbyist firm. And they were brought in by the Ottawa Police Service to help them. And they are the ones that created some false narratives about children going to be taken away. And the Children's Aid Society was very troubled about this nonsense story. Uh, they also uh, knew that a lot of the truckers had their their pets with them, which many truckers have dogs and small dogs that they travel with for companionship, that they were going to bring in the Humane Society and take them away too. It just showed the extent to which they were prepared to go and the fact that they were prepared to spend so many taxpayer dollars from citizens of Ottawa mm -hmm. on this Navigator outfit was remarkable. And how the simplest and the most Canadian thing to have happened would have been for the prime minister or some of his cabinet ministers to say, hey, can we have a dialogue about this? 
Can you share with us your concerns as to what brought you to Ottawa and what you think we've got wrong as a government? And we can explain to you why we did what we did and why we think we got it right. That's what we normally do in Canada, mm-hmm. but not under Trudeau's Canada. No, I think that it's totally outrageous. I mean, you think about all the city officials and members in government that are now talking about this, like they're like they're so surprised that after two years of them being silent and not listening to the public outcry of all of these restrictions being put into place, that something actually came out of it. It wasn't what they wanted. And so now they're crying about it. And I think that it's ridiculous that they didn't think at some point that something wouldn't be done, that people wouldn't stand up for their rights and freedoms, that they would say no more. When I listened to the testimony of the the two non-police witnesses today, the protesters, the protester, representative protester from, from Windsor and then from Coots, is they both talked about how incredibly harmful the government restrictions were, not just the federal, but the provincial and the municipal ones as well. And any time one of the witnesses, and think about you both observing this either virtually or in the room, I find whenever a witness brings that up, there's this instant awkwardness and tension by the commissioner and the commission council. It's just like they want the harms that the government did to tens of millions of Canadians mm. to be whitewashed mm-hmm. away yeah. from history yeah. and 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 not, never spoken about again. And that is not how we heal. And that is not how we prevent this from happening again. We have to talk about these things. And this is why they're trying so hard also to object to any evidence that's being brought forward that would highlight the brutalities from the police and from the government officials themselves. It's so obvious what's going on. And I totally agree with you. There's this weird silence in the room and like uncomfortable shifting where they're just kind of holding their breath, hoping that they don't see something that is well, true, right. but something that is so true that, you know, I'm just hoping that someone comes forward, that they're not counting on coming forward and just being like, actually, this is what happened. And then that's it. You yeah, know, I, I totally agree. And I think that we can, we can all notice it when you're actually in the room, you can mm-hmm. see even the people in the crowd, like they, they, they respond to what is being said. Yes. When it's something they disagree with, you can see the crowd energy switch when it's something they agree with. Yeah you can notice the crowd energy switch. And when someone like Tamara Ali, she talks about the fact that people in her community were committing suicide so much that the community, yeah, yeah, that the community of uh, medicine had decided to stop reporting the suicide. When you hear Tamara Ali speak about her experience traveling across Canada and coming across families and people that jump in her arms crying because they thought about committing suicide. When you hear all of these stories, the crowd energy switches and i think that people at home can actually notice the the honest and once again i don't think this would happen i I hope this wouldn't be happening and i don't believe it would in a in a in a country where we we have someone else as justin trudeau someone else and dutch justin trudeau as our prime minister someone doesn't go on a drag queen show i saw that today guys if you you don't know what i'm talking about go to canada's drag race just write it on twitter after the live stream but yeah i I think that if we had a different prime minister in justin trudeau that wouldn't be the case unfortunately he's the one that we're stuck with i just i wanted to make a little point on that too i just think it's it's very interesting that we have like one of the biggest things in canadian history happening right now at least it will be in my lifetime fingers crossed that nothing crazier happens than this really But instead of focusing on this and actually putting towards some sort of effort to, you know, 
put into the minds of the people that are tuning into this every single day or the people that are testifying um, that he will have some sort of greater part in this, you know, that he's called to yeah. testify as well and that he'll be there. Instead, you just see all of the headlines are Justin Trudeau is going to be on a drag show. He's going to be, he's going to have some sort of my brain, no, my brain prefers, with these things. He prefers I, going on a drag queen show yeah. than negotiating with protesters. Anyway, I won't spend too much time on the, <clears throat> on Justin Trudeau's drag queen yeah. experience. Let's take a look at clip number four from where we see Alan Honor, a good friend from the Democracy Fund, cross-examine mm -hmm. um, OPP Deputy Chief Early. Uh, Superintendent Early, um, you can uh, Early. tell me though uh, that, and you know, to the, to the credit of you and your team, that you managed to get this blockade at the Ambassador Bridge cleared within two days of your appointment um, as CIC. Yes. And you would agree with me then that you and your team managed to resolve one of the most urgent priorities in the country without the benefit of the Emergencies Act. Correct. Thank you. Point blank. That's all I have to say. Point blank when asked. There was no, mm, well, I, I'm not sure it was. Yes, that's right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, I, 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 <laughs> to our point. <laughs> I wrote an article recently for Rebel News about how the Liberals tried to create an emergency, control the narrative out mm. of the information they had during the Freedom Convoy in order to enact the emergencies. Act. And I got a bunch of response of people saying, are you actually watching the inquiry? Are you actually watching the inquiry? Everyone says that it was necessary. You can see how necessary it was. It's, it's unbelievable. I don't think that people are actually listening to the inquiry because just now, once again, helpful, but not necessary. And she didn't even say helpful. <laughs> she just said <laughs> no, it wasn't yeah. necessary. How many times have you been hearing this? Consistently, there's been there's been all of the witnesses when the questions are narrowly framed yeah. to be clear and to yeah. stop this obfuscation and yeah. weaseling out stuff. They've always said, yeah, that we didn't need it. We didn't yeah. need it. We didn't ask for it. It wasn't necessary. We did what we did without it. It provided no difference. You know, um, it's it's it is there's no hope left for the government now the evidence from all of the people who would be in the know as to whether the criteria to invoke the emergencies act were present mm -hmm. have testified under oath with great clarity that none of the conditions were present as we just saw in that clip mm -hmm. the way that that police official responded and the tone in which she said correct she obviously she she also added by her body language isn't it obvious yeah right it's yeah. like obviously correct we didn't need it <laughs> no for sure and didn't I need think, it didn't use it i think yeah. as you just mentioned any straightforward clear and concise lawyer like um Miller time from like Brendan Miller, like Bathsheba Vandenberg, <laughs> like Alan Honor, like Antoine from uh, JCCF. Yes. I think whenever these lawyers ask her question, it shows that the government was wrong. It yeah. shows that they were not in the rights to invoke the emergencies act. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but I think for the emergencies act for the EA to be invoked, it needs to be necessary. Am I wrong? Absolutely. I mean, this is this used to be called the War Measures Act. This is this is uh, goodness. We, me. We've invoked it three other times. One was World War One. 
Can you guess the second time? World <laughs> War II. And the third time was the FLQ crisis when they'd assassinated a politician and kidnapped an ambassador. Yeah. Uh, and they were blowing things up. And then yeah. here we had hardworking, non-laptop class Canadians of every ethnic and religious background uh, peacefully protesting, cleaning and snow removal in the streets, yep, feeding the right. homeless, um, uh, Quebecers and Albertans embracing one mm, another, which is rare. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, um, and, and saying enough, we need our Canada back. So for the prime minister to do it, it's obvious, you know, Petulant child, temper tantrum. I mentioned the other day, there's a reason there's nothing on his desk. It's uh, for the staff safety, because we know he'd probably throw things when they come in Just and give them bad stuff news. Around, yeah. you know, I think that she forgot costume loving. He loves to wear, it's, it's wear, it's wear different types of costume. That might be the reason why he hated Convoy so much. He was sad he wasn't invited to go in front of them and wear a Sikh costume or wear a blackface costume. Well, I was going to say, it's probably because, yeah, you know, because he would turn up in blackface and really no one would like that. So. Yeah, exactly, with this diverse crowd. You know, you want so to just mentioned yeah. that the crowd was diverse, that Alberta, surprisingly, were able to get along with Quebecers, which is rare. I think we're seeing it, we're seeing it here. Uh, well, there you have it, Justin Trudeau. <laughs> <laughs> in that's incredible costume truly is wow yep. like it's it, there's no effort into any of these looks you can tell he just takes them on see that one where he's posing like is as hitler well that was a well, just just before the leftist, soldier he just looks like the leftists come after mm -hmm. us some of them are photoshop and we are aware of it <laughs> um but you mentioned the dynamic of the crowd in ottawa um that Albertans were hugging Quebecers, which is very rare in my opinion, yes. that you saw diverse yeah. communities all coming across together. Can you tell us more about that? Well, I mean, you know, you heard uh, Tamara Leach's testimony that that in her history is one where she would had, had lost hope on Canada as a federation and and um, or a confederation and, and wanted to uh, support the independence of Alberta and her experience in Ottawa um, and and since has restored her hope in Canada as, as a, as a unified nation. And, and she testified to this, but I knew of it before that she's already taken, uh, started to learn how to speak French. And, uh, uh, she has spent a tremendous amount of time when she's been able to in Quebec, mm -hmm. uh, with all of her new Quebec friends. Yeah. You know, I truly look forward to having discussion with Tamara Alicia in French. That'll be that'll be a nice discussion. So how far is she into learning French? I don't know. I guess you're gonna get to test her. <laughs> you're gonna say when she's allowed to speak to the yeah, media. When you, that's get, right. when you get your exclusive. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, coming soon, guys. Stay tuned for that. That'll be great. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Keith. It's already past a uh, three minute past uh, the time we we're supposed to be on. Thanks so much, and until next time, I guess. Thank you both. Of course. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we will have Sydney Fizzard, another Rebel News contributor, to talk to us about Alberta, Coots, and a lot more. So stay tuned for that, guys. Freedom in 2022 is certainly about being able to make free choices for ourselves and for our family. 
who we believe are the best. We have seen so much suffering over the last two years. People who die alone in terrible conditions, people losing dream jobs, polarized families, and a society that insult and yell at each other for making a different medical choice. But people have risen, and it will be through them that the future will have an important meaning for all of you, but especially for the next generation. Ruben News has been present at every step of this great challenge, but so many other pioneers whom you could meet and hear at our great conference about freedom for our beautiful country, which is Canada. This conference, which will be held in Calgary and Toronto, will show you the faces of the influence of freedom that you have seen over the past two years. You don't want to miss this. So get your ticket now at ribbonnewslive.com. And it will be a pleasure to see you there and meet you in large numbers. It's time to drop these masks and let the truth shine. We must redouble Mayor Khan, I was hoping that you would answer my question. What consequences are there going to be for people that don't abide by the climate green transition? It's not an interview. What are the consequences going to be? Mr. Adler, you flew over 5,000 miles to be here to attend a summit that is promoting the elimination of fossil fuels. Isn't that hypocritical? And, and the decision I made was that it was better for me to physically be here than to not be here. They are doing like in here to, to, to make a statement that they care about the South uh, governments, the South countries uh, of the, the global South, but I don't think that that's not happening. here with Sydney Fizzard from Alberta and the studio. Sydney, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. It's been a long day at the commission. I'm glad to be joining everyone. Great. So Sydney's our, our Coots border situation specialist who's going to be talking to us a little bit more about uh, what went on at the Coots border uh, blockade back in February, right? Yep. Yeah, back in February, uh, in the beginning, uh, the tail end of January, I should say. Uh, and I should also say to my left is uh, Kian Simone, uh, who was also there for a, a very extended amount of time. We uh, we suffered through uh, the conditions that they did uh, as well. All the protesters down there, negative uh, 30, felt like 40, 30 kilometer winds. It, it was brutal, um, but their determination was like nothing you'd ever seen. Yeah, so we'll get to that shortly. But just before that, just to make management happy, we have a Rebel News live event in Toronto and Calgary, Toronto on November 19th and uh, Calgary on November 25th. If you want your tickets, you can go ahead and visit rebelnewslive.com and there you will be able to meet some interesting guests. Tamara Leash, Drea Humphrey, uh, Ezra Levan is going to be there, Sheila going to be as well. We're going to be there as well. So that'll be great. All right, Sydney, do you want to give us a quick rundown? I know I will... It took a long time for you staying at Coos with Kian and everything. Can you give us a quick rundown of what exactly went on there? Uh, oh, at the blockade or today? Yeah, so, yeah. 
Uh, well, the, the rough summary is it, uh, it, pardon me, the rough summary was that uh, at the time of the Coots blockade and as the, the slow roll uh, was arriving in the area, it was the same time roughly that the uh, the convoy to Ottawa was uh, arriving in Ottawa and consequently the weeks that it stayed. Uh, so that's a, a place that was a little closer to home for many Albertans who couldn't make the trek across the country, uh, but still wanted to show their support. And uh, they, they did, and thousands upon thousands of Albertans came out to show how unhappy they were, not only with the federal uh, restrictions around COVID uh, and a lot of the mandates that have been put forward, but as well, most of the uh, Alberta-specific provincial restrictions that we saw. So they, uh, they took part in this blockade that ultimately uh, started as a slow roll, and then I guess most of the people decided, well, you know what, I think... Uh, we're all here. Why are, why are we going to leave? We want to make our voices heard, and we feel like it hasn't been done for the last two years. And that's exactly what they did. And, and uh, Marco said today, you know, they were there for 18 days, uh, a lot of them. And I, I covered, what, 16 of that. And it was... Uh, it, all the while, it was entirely peaceful. You know, at the end, uh, Marco mentioned that, to his knowledge, there was only 13 individuals that were arrested. And that is uh, from the execution of warrants that happened on February 13th and 14th. And the RCMP moved in. They arrested a bunch of people. Uh, a couple of those individuals got the charges stayed. Uh, a couple of individuals have more serious charges and have been denied bail. Uh, I can't speak to the validity of those charges, but nonetheless, they remain, they remain behind bars. Um, and ultimately, that, that moment near the end was... Uh, the moment where the protesters and Marco mentioned this, it's they they saw the the news that was coming out. They saw the representation on the 13th and 14th of the Coots blockade and the way the media was portraying it, and it was all you know guns, 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 weapons seized, weapons seized, and that wasn't the message that they were trying to convey. This uh, event that took place. Uh, uh, Blocks and blocks away, it might not sound like much in a city, uh, but in a small town where you can literally see the other end of the town, it's, uh, uh, I guess some people would uh, bring that proximity up and they got labeled with coots and all of a sudden the media was reporting on the coots blockade as a, a coots weapon seized, yada yada, and they decided that their message had been heard. Uh, they don't want to be affiliated with any extremism that was possibly present. Uh, again, I, I can't speak to the validity of these charges, but that's uh, that was the moment when they decided to pack up. Was there? I feel like there's probably a bunch of stuff I missed. Oh, well, that, that, that was great, brother. <laughs> I, I understood everything that went on. Generally speaking, I think that you. I, I think we both got a sense of what Coos was like. <clears throat> yeah, I went there for. That's I right. think I think I went there twice, but yeah. you. Yeah, you're. You know what's you. You know what's going on. Hundred percent. Yeah. Well, I like to think so, um, but I don't think. Uh, I mean, even today, I don't think the RCB had much of a clue. And you'd think that they'd be. The well, ones. there you go. That's a great. Uh, that's a great example. Well, you know, and maybe uh, I don't want to cast blame too quickly, but they talk. Uh, uh, one of the important things that Marco mentioned today was Arthur Polowski, mm -hmm. uh, who spent, uh, I believe, it was fifty-one days behind bars for his uh, uh, alleged. Uh, uh, I don't know how you, how you would call it. Um, he gave a sermon. Yeah, he gave He's a, a preacher. Sermon. Preachers and preach. The issue that was uh, proposed out of that was that he had somehow incited them to stay at the border blockade and whatnot. And Marco mentioned uh, before Arthur Kulowski even made his speech uh, that got him 51 days in prison for keeping the truckers at the border. The truckers had already decided that they were going to stay at the border. Yeah. So yeah, honestly, that says a lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was already revealed as well that this was a leaderless movement. So unless they're proposing that Art Pulowski was in fact the leader of this entire thing, then there you go. It's, it's, a, little right bit, there. it's a little bit like what they were talking about here uh, with Ottawa, uh, Hydra. I think that was the name of the operation that the either the OPS Hydra, or the OPP. That's right. Yeah, Hydra, <laughs> yeah, because it's a monster with multiple heads. So Former just like chief slowly used. Exactly. Yeah, here if you took one down, 
three other one would rise up and take take the lead as well. Uh, so, said, is there a reason why you're here in Ottawa today? You flew uh, from the great <laughs> province of Alberta to come to to come to Ottawa. No reason aside from the fact that Marco is a witness at the uh, Public Order Emergency Commission. Um, I know there's some discussion around how nice Ottawa is. Uh, I will say the weather is a little warmer than it is in Calgary, if you like that sort of thing. Uh, but my focus is on those individuals who are related to Coots, uh, who are now here for the uh, Public Order Emergency Commission. And I could add to that, uh, the Public Order Emergency Commission, uh, I believe, was invoked on the 13th. Um, 14th. 14th, yeah. right? Yeah, sorry, the 14th. The 13th is when the execution of warrants started. Uh, through the night and then uh, into the wee hours of the morning. We're talking like 2, 3 a.m., I think, uh, is when that wrapped up. Uh, and after that, I think Marco said uh, around uh, 12 o'clock on the 14th is when they said, you know, we're going to pack up, we're going to head home. That's when yes. they had finalized conversation yes. with the RCMP on that front. Uh, and I believe after that was when Trudeau invoked the Emergency Act, uh, Emergencies Act. So, the 14th. Bit of an interesting time. What was that? Yeah. Uh, on the 14th on Valentine's Day. That's a great way to say I love you to Canadian. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, William. <laughs> but what is really interesting about that is, I know this is just my opinion, but um, yeah, that is really interesting timing, isn't it? After everything mm -hmm. had been resolved, so to speak, right? This is exactly what we saw in Windsor as well. Actually, they had the tow trucks prepared and everything, but that blockade has act that was disassembled before the EA was invoked. It well, was not necessary there either. Well, and I can say uh, in Coots, I mean, we spoke to the individuals uh, there who were in attendance and, you know, like the Emergencies Act is upon us. You mm -hmm. know, or, is this a concern for you guys? Yeah. You know, uh, you're clearly at a demonstration that might see the crack of, uh, or the whip, uh, what do you call it? The uh, the whip come down with the Emergencies Act. And vote. Yeah. They're like, no, just really had nothing to do with it. It'll take time to uh, bring that enforcement into play. Uh, it was quite literally uh, an entirely separate matter. Yeah. The invocation of the Emergencies Act yeah. and the the that it might get used against the protesters mm -hmm. to its uh, blockade and surrounding demonstrations. Yeah, and not, not to cut anyone off, but we've been talking for a little while and not everyone at home has watched the testimony of Marco. So if, can, if we could take a look at clip number nine to show the viewers at home what uh, Marco, the protester from Coots, had to say. Until all mandates and restrictions are lifted. Do you see that? I do. It also says calling all semis, trucks, SUVs, cars, Meeting point flying J Lethbridge, which you referenced earlier, 5 a.m. Border shut down on this day that Albertans hold the line to take back our given freedoms. Do not budge, do not move, do not surrender. Did you ever see this flyer? This is the first time I've seen this. So was it your personal intention to block the border and not give up until all the mandates and restrictions were lifted as is stated in this flyer? It was never my intention to block the border. It was always our intention to create a inconvenience at the border in the afternoon of January the 29th. But you would agree based on this flyer that it was some people's intention at least? Based on this flyer, I could see that there were people who would have these intentions. No, you always talk about it. When the crowd's big enough, you're always bound to have some bad apples. I think that was the case right here. There are some people who had intentions that went against what the original protesters of the coups border blockade wanted to, to see happen mm -hmm. because it was such a big crowd. Same thing in Ottawa. You know, there were some people with different intentions in Ottawa that wanted to stir up trouble, but I don't think it's reflective of the view of the whole crew. In addition to that, I think that uh, Marco put it very well. He said our intention was to create inconvenience, wasn't to block the border completely. And AOC, the leftist from the Democratic Party herself in the United States, once said that the point of a protest is to create inconvenience. 
that's the whole point of a protest. I mean, yeah, no, that's again, I wish that I had something different to say, you know, we agree on all these points. I, I, I'm really hoping that we see something else come out of this as, well, as mean, in the, the dynamic, what Marco just explained, is that the same dynamic that you saw in Coos, Alberta? Well, let me, do, let me just speak to what, uh, two of the things Marco said is mm-hmm. he was uh, alleged by the RCMP to be a key participant, uh, who, as he said multiple times today, had no intentions of blocking the highway. Yeah. Um, so I, this, the feeling I get is that these things run a little contradictory. Um, and then another thing you mentioned is uh, he spent every day working with the RCMP to maintain public safety. Uh, and and yeah. this is something that he alluded to is that he was just kind of by his character traits, by his position as a Fort McLeod town councillor, he kind of understood how government worked and he kind of had his hands on, you know, being a decent communicator. Uh, mm-hmm. And you, you think about a bunch of truckers. Well, I, I mean, this quite literally with no disrespect. They, they spend their time in isolation. Yes, there's the radio. There are conversations and communications taking place. Mm-hmm. Place. Um, but that is very much uh, one of the industries where I would imagine, at least, you know, you, you are more of a solitary person. You're not honing your communication yes, skills every yeah. single day yeah. as, you know, in opposition to someone like a, a town councillor. So it, it was kind of and this is the sense that I got was that it was just people saw, you know, he, this is my skill set. I'm walking into this demonstration. Uh, there was it was very chaotic. There was really no organization until. Uh, you know, everyone was sharing a building and they're like, okay, well, what do we do about the toilet? You know, yeah. how do we eat? You know, yeah. the, the, yeah. These simple things that people were like, oh, I know how to take care of that. Yeah. Well, I think uh, touching on the communication aspect that you just mentioned, I think Marco in his testimony also said he had great communication with the, the residents and the, the school board, the people that were here. He was in discussion, I believe he stated uh, not, during his testimony. Yeah, with those, not those just people. discussion. He actually was in communication mm-hmm. with officials in the school board. Well, so that's take, school take, buses. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, there you go. Let's take a look at Let's take a look at the clip. Um, Back to the lanes opening up. We were getting, we were in discussions with residents, school board, um, et cetera, to allow the buses free flow, to allow traffic, you know, the residents in and out, um, all of that. Plus, we were in no position to hold the highway shut. So we opened up a lane on each side. I think that's what she just said. It's weird. It's almost like I was there and I watched it. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, I think that just really goes to show that again, an inconvenience is not the same as committing an act of terror or terrorism. Mm -hmm. They very much worked with the locals there. They had great communication with the RCMP. And again, they allowed school buses to come through and go as they please. So yeah, inconvenience is not terrorism, even though that's what the Ottawa residents here oh, for think sure. it is. You know, Matthew Fleur, who talks about microaggression and thinks it's a, <laughs> it's a valid reason to invoke the EA. That's lunacy. But you were both in Ottawa and Coos, as you just mentioned, right? Yes, yeah. So what was similar in both places? What was different? between both uh, both protests. Yeah, I, I've talked with Sid about this a few times, but the main difference was the overall, I guess, vibe, the energy between the people. Like in the beginning, the the convoy in, in the Ottawa, obviously everyone was celebrating, everyone had come together for the first time in so long. And there was this really lighthearted and loving atmosphere, very friendly, very family-friendly, I might add. Everyone was there. It was just, it was incredible to, to see so many people smiling and dancing and, and to just... Yeah, to just kind of like bask in that Mm -hmm. energy. And then we drove back after being there for three days, Mocha and myself. We didn't even go home. We went straight to Coots to meet up with Sid and Kian. And 
tensions were very high there. It felt different. It, it was, um, you could definitely feel the tension because we weren't really sure what was going to happen mm -hmm. in regards to the RCMP, even though things were peaceful, it just was a different overall feeling. I, I think you can touch on that more probably said, right? Yeah. Well, and even within the demonstrations that were happening in the area, there was the Milk River one, the Coots That's one, right, yeah. uh, and then a, a variety that would pop up all over the province. Uh, and, and both of those as well even had very different atmospheres. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of well, I guess in terms of Ottawa, the the Milk River demonstrations and the blockade there that, that was similar. Felt, that felt like Ottawa. <laughs> that was um, that was very similar, it, yeah. And I don't mean to uh, to undermine the activities that they were doing, but no. it felt more like fun. Yeah, basically, it was yeah. fun. It was a bit more of a party. Yeah. Um, the the select individuals that were in Coots, I mean, it, it wasn't like uh, sure there was you know uh, a barrier set up in Ottawa and stuff like that, mm -hmm. but Coots was isolated. Yeah. Like they showed a, a map during the commission of uh, Coots and the surrounding area, and it's. <laughs> Uh, the regular Google map that you see. If yeah. you look at the, the terrain version of that yeah. <laughs> map, it, it's a barren wasteland. I remember. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it is isolated from everything and the border's right there. Yeah. Um, and, and so you're thinking to yourself, well, if it was any closer to the border, then it would be a, a legitimate border issue. 100%. A, a bit of a, a situation there. But yeah. Uh, and it's because of the, the tightness of getting into the area, yeah. um, which is something the locals even had issue with with the RCMP, but the people who were there, the people who had their trucks on the road, especially into the second week uh, and so forth, yeah. it was, everything was on the line. Yeah, for know? sure. And, and these weren't, they, even though everything was on the line, they weren't acting violently. They weren't being malicious towards the RCMP. Yeah. Um, they just, it, part, I don't know if I can use this expression, uh, basketballs to the wall, right? Um, <laughs> that it, it was... Uh, Everything was there for them, yeah. and, and it was uh, a very tense moment. It was yeah. make or break for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, guys, we're going to have to cut this short tonight, and here's the reason why. As you might know, in the United States, our, our, our southern uh, our southern neighbors, they have the midterms election. It's an extremely, extremely important election. That's where we're going to see whether or not the Republicans are going to take over um, different levels of government, and we're going to see how... Joe Biden reacts. We're going to see how many uh, polling machines get broken or something weird happens to them. It won't <laughs> happen because nothing unusual happens during election time. All the elections are fair and not rigged at all. Yeah. They're not rigged. They're 100% fair. So, so if you want to watch our midterm coverage, you can just head on to our next live stream which is going to happen right after this one ends as that's why we're going to ha have to end a little bit early but Sid I had one last question for you I think Marco has a court case coming up soon along with other uh, truckers can you touch on that truckerdefensefund.ca I'm just going to give you the URL now but uh, Alex Marco and George the three individuals uh, at September the 16th RCMP alleged them to be key participants of the blockade uh, which is uh, from that stemmed three charges of mischief over $5,000, one per individual. Now, these individuals, uh, the, the maximum penalty, I believe, is 10 years in prison. So that's what these guys are faced with now, again, for their alleged uh, uh, being key participants of the Coots blockade. And, you know, they've mentioned that they were, uh, at least Marco, was in deep correspondence with the RCMP. Uh, he had no intentions of, you know, breaking the laws and stuff like that. He was just the 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 person who people happened to talk to. You know, you, you see a smiling face, you know, you maybe you're more likely to approach that person. So now these yeah. three individuals, some of the greatest guys you'll meet out there, the salt of the earth Canadians that that you grow to know and love uh, from your own family, they're now being charged with 
these <laughs> charges of mischief over five thousand dollars. And again, key participants of the blockade. Well, Arthur Pulowski, yeah. what do they say about him? That it was his fault that truckers stayed at the border, yeah. and he spent fifty-one <laughs> days in prison for that, or behind bars, I should yeah. say, for that. Uh, where is this coming from? Is what I want to know. But luckily, Williamson Law, the the uh, uh, they were the legal team uh, that was uh, responsible for being negotiators between RCMP yeah. uh, and the demonstrators. They were uh, 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 lubricant to the situation, I guess you could say. Um, we've been assisting with that. It's been crowdfunded legal defense for them. Uh, and now Williamson Law, we've retained uh, them to help Chalix, Marco, and Chad uh, with these charges of mischief that is going to be faced before the courts. Truckerdefensefund.ca is where you have to go if you want to help join in, uh, because right now they need your help more than anything. Yeah, no, that'll be definitely great to to follow along how that's going to play out. And you're staying here for the next few days, right? Yes. So you'll be able to have interviews with uh, with all these people. More more than likely, yeah. <laughs> the commission uh, doesn't seem to run on a, as nice a schedule as we would all like. Yes, uh, yeah, that should exactly. Be hopefully the case. Yeah. All right. Well, I definitely look forward to see all of that coverage. So we can go to truckerdefensefund.ca. All right. Well, guys, if you want to see everything that is going on with the uh, the truckers that were at the Coots border blockade, you can head on to truckerdefensefund.ca. All right. Let's take a look at one last clip from uh, Marco's testimony tonight. Uh, then we'll wrap up and you'll be able to switch over to our midterm election live stream, which is going to take place in a few minutes right after this one ends. So let's take a look at some of what Marco had to say. Premier Kenny did make an announcement on February 8th that the provincial government was announcing a plan for a gradual easing of the pandemic-related public health measures. Is that right? Correct. And based on our response to his message, um, it was not the message we were looking for. And what was his message and what was the message you were looking for? Uh, the message that Kenny gave was, um, it was a phased approach with a lot of maybes. And there was no surety of anything in that message. It spoke to uh, a lot of different aspects and there was a lot of different methods to back out of that phased approach, but it really, it, it was something because they had to address, you know, there was pressure, even though we weren't communicating, there was pressure. Coots, Coots did, did apply pressure to the provincial government. And this was not just exclusively Coots. This was, you know, you, you, you all, the evidence is submitted to the slow rolls in Edmonton, to the protests of five to 10,000 in Calgary, the, the, the inconveniences on highways all over the province. Uh, obviously the focus is on Coots, Ottawa, Emerson, Ambassador, Sarnia, et cetera. But Albertans were frustrated and they were making it very aware to their government that they wanted to see change. So we were willing to, to have those discussions and to work on a realistic plan. He mentioned Jess and Kenny. Just one last thing. Celine, what are your what is it that you've noticed from her leadership? If you could wrap that up super quick about Daniel Smith. It, as a, as opposed to, to Jason Kenny's leadership. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, there's a big difference. I mean, specifically, uh, I proposed a question to Daniel Smith during mm -hmm. the, the AGM, uh, the annual general meeting that the conservative party of Alberta does hold, mm -hmm. um, where she actually apologized, even though she was not at power in power at the time where this, these restrictions and mandates were put into play. Um, but she apologized uh, to all people that face prosecution during that time, um, for going against her, her 
having, you know, the mind to uh, withhold their personal medical information. So uh, I think just even saying that shows the huge, enormous difference between her and Kenny, among many things. Well, you know, that's a good start, but are we going to have to worry about these three uh, Albertans again, more Albertans going to prison for breaching COVID violations? I mean, Arthur Pulowski, Tamara yeah. Leach, Tim Stevens. Yeah. Um, um, there, there's so many Albertans who have had to face time behind bars mm -hmm. because of these COVID violations. Yeah. Is that going to continue? Well, we're going to see that, right? Because she did say that she would, she was currently looking into the legalities behind those things. So I do hope a hundred percent that that is exactly what we see is that those charges are thrown out and that they are granted the amnesty that they were promised during her campaign. Yeah. So just before we sign up, we're going to sign up in a minute. Um, I know that, you know, you know that Doug Ford doesn't want to testify the inquiry and we currently have a petition to push him to testify. So if you want to sign our petition that we will attempt to go drop off uh, to Ford's office for Doug Ford to testify in front of the uh, Public Order Emergency Commission, go to stop hiding stophiding.ca. Stophiding.ca, there you will be able to sign our petition <laughs> to make Doug Ford testify at the Emergencies Act inquiry. All right, if you want to follow our, our midterm election coverage, go to, uh, well, you'll be able to, to sign up and head on to our next live stream. Thanks so much for joining us today, Celine. Thanks so much uh, for your time, Sydney. And have a good evening, everyone. The perception around Coots, unfortunately, due to the the discovery of the guns and such has tainted what Coots was. And for me, what's important is that we, we, we were there to demand that our representatives communicate with us like they are obligated to do and like what had not been happening. We were never able to enter in official communication with the government, but looking back at the political state of affairs in Alberta, it might've been better for the Kenya government to actually have done that. The COVID restrictions and the mandates, they, they, they messed with our lives. Like we, we see the inconsistencies of, of the experts and I, I don't necessarily blame them. The information provided was was what they went off of, and that information is is no is is at times is now no longer factual either. Things, you know, the, the ball kept on getting pushed further down the road. Two weeks to, to flatten the curve and look at where we are now. And I'm not going to speak to to COVID, and I'm no expert on it. But even the experts got it wrong. And for public trust to be regained, for the for the trust of Albertans to be regained.